I look back on our history, we were buying Elmer T. Lee barrels. Can you imagine that, that concept now? No, I cannot even imagine that now. You know, it is like in 2010, Julian Van Winkle offered, said, you all want to buy a Van Winkle barrel? We didn't have the cash then. Had I known now what I do now, I would, you know, I'd have ransomed my house, you know, sure. to, to gone and done that. Because you'd have made it back for yeah. sure. But. Welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts, Jim and Randy. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loggerheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the bourbon road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. This, this episode was a little easier to uh, recover from than our last one. Yeah, that's that's true. Oh, Christy. Yeah. Yeah, we had, had a good time with him today. Yeah, so we were down at Westport Whiskey and Wine, and we were in their tasting room. Beautiful. And, uh, beautiful. Great place. Great place. Uh, with Chris Zaborowski, and uh, he's the uh, proprietor there, and uh, a barrel picker extraordinaire. I was going to say, you know, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who's been on quite as many barrel picks as he. Those guys have got a lot of single barrel picks in their store. They are constantly doing them. There's a there's a good selection, and there's always something unique and tasty to find there. I think. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm not so sure that I've ever been anywhere just yet that had quite as many. Just it's just the variety of stuff that he had. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's coming to Louisville to to experience the bourbon trail the you know the culture the uh the bourbon bars and all that and they get a little time to go out and do a little bourbon shop and this is a great place to go and and you know prices seem to be comparable to anything out there so and and a huge selection an entire wall i don't know how long that wall is dedicated to just bourbons and then they've got all their picks out and, and of course you can taste things and wow and that yeah that's what i appreciated about chris is you know hey you know i is it possible to try such and such? And be careful because when you do that, you may be walking out with a bottle. <laughs> as as somebody did, right? I don't know who that would be. All right. <laughs> All right, Randy. Well, uh, let's let's get on to the episode. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Shannon. Randy Manick. And we're here with the Bourbon Road Podcast. And we've got a special guest with us here today. We're in Louisville, Kentucky at uh, Westport Whiskey and Wine. And we've got Chris Zaborowski. How are you doing today, Chris? Good morning. Doing well, thanks. Great. Normally on the show, we like to get right into the first pour of whiskey. What did you bring for us? Well, we started off with one of our barrel selections, Kentucky Spirit. This is the brand that really made me love and fall in love with wild turkey. Um tell a bad story on myself many, many years ago when I was in the wholesale business, I was doing, we were doing an interview for the old Louisville magazine on a blind bourbon tasting. And they had in those, in the mid eighties, it was not a lot of selection of obviously single barrel programs were not, a, you know, not available in those days. And it was uh, old forester makers, Mark, Jim Beam and wild Turkey 101 mm -hmm. were the brands that were doing this blind tasting. And of course the tasting was uh, set up by, uh, in those days, Maker's Mark published a little book, how to do a blind bourbon tasting. And of course, if you followed the rules, you know who en ended up winning the blind bourbon tasting. But, uh, 
so we're going through the whiskeys and take the glass. We didn't have very, very nice glasses like the Glen Cairns like these days. It was just a simple rocks glass, took the whiskey to my mouth, uh, the Wild Turkey 101 in particular, and I had a visceral reaction and I sprayed the whiskey. Oh, no. You oh, know, no. I mean, just <laughs> was just totally. And John Filiatru was the uh, editor of uh, the magazine at the time. He wrote the article and said that, you know, that he just literally had a reaction and it's sprayed it all over the, oh, man. <laughs> all over the table. So I got a phone call after the article came out from a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Russell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he said, did you really? And I said, yes, sir. Unfortunately I did. And we chatted for a while and all that. It's in one-on-one to me out of that group of whiskeys was the, was the most astringent. It taught okay. me a lot about the higher proof and being an, an astringent flavor profile. Now by astringent, you mean uh, kind of has a bite to it? Yeah. The okay. bite, the bite and the heat of the alcohol, you know, and, and Turkey 101 is a very spicy whiskey. Mm -hmm. It is. So for a sweet whiskey boy, you know, right. really loved Old Forester, that, which is also really relatively spicy, but it, it just hit me in a different fashion. And also it was the higher proof that whiskey of the day. So I just wasn't prepared for it. But ultimately that was my first introduction to what the alcohol content and what you know, the differences in everybody's whiskeys do. And how important that acclimation stage is. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so with that in mind, we started, when we, when the store started and we started doing the single barrel programs, went to wild Turkey the first time, it's a little bit of trepidation. I'd, I'd start to like, I mean, rare breed was my go-to whiskey out of their stable. And of course it's not in their program. So we started uh, picking barrels and with Jimmy and recounted and talked about that story again uh, uh, on our barrel pick. And this is when he was still doing the barrel picks before Eddie took over totally. And we had a Kentucky spirit offering and I was like, oh my gosh, flavor profile, everything was just, it hit me just absolutely just stellar. And I was going, this is the same whiskey, <laughs> you know, that many years before I had said, no, right. I didn't, didn't enjoy. And I learned a lot about location where they pick spirit barrels from versus where they pick Russell's barrels from and, you know, the batching of the process that they do to smooth, you know, to make the whiskey consistent. But this one in particular, I really liked, uh, I call this the, the best of the, uh, spirit barrels we've picked over time. Oh, great. And, and specifically on this one, is this a, a pick that you've done recently? This one, yes, we did this one back, uh, uh, actually we did this one last fall and it just finally hit, you know, this year because they were backed up so bad on, uh, on production. Um, this just, uh, it embodies everything I really like in a, in a, in a really good whiskey. It has a nose that seduces you. I mean, it, it's got, it does. It's really fragrant. I mean, it, it's just, mm. if the, if it doesn't grab you in the nose, why are you drinking it? Right. Exactly. No, this is this has got a great nose to it. it. It definitely has a little bit more of an aromatic nose to it than you typically get. And that and that's that's the other thing too. This technically would have been a barrel that we would have edged toward. That's the other thing. They don't make they don't say this is a spirit barrel. This is a Russell's barrel. They sort of do. They sort of designate where they think they're going to go to. But when we picked this barrel with Eddie, we were sitting there going, he he like he has already learned my flavor profile after you know. 30 barrels or plus of their, their whiskey over time. He, he sort of knows once, once I'm going to like, so he had this barrel set aside and we tasted it, but he said, this is probably, probably could go into a Russell's program. 
But when we tasted it, it was like, yeah, this I, I could do that. But at the same token, let's let's taste it, cut a little bit down, and it just really blossomed. Yeah, yeah. Some sometimes people get um, sort of directed into a spirit because their Russell's pick doesn't uh, proof out. Right. right. So we had that happen. We picked, we picked an absolutely stellar barrel that was, you know, uh, right at, you know, at the time that was 110, but when they went to bottle it, it proofed down, it, it got, they didn't even proof it down. They went to do it and it was at 109.6. And so we couldn't have it as a Russell's barrel cause it had to be 110. So we called it declassified Russell's and bottled it as a spirit belt. Literally, uh, they called on a Thursday where they're getting ready to bottle and Eddie ran a bottle cut proof down to one one to the store so that we could taste it just to make sure it was okay. That's great. I mean, that's exceptional service in that regard. If you that will. is very good service. So, um, Randy, you're looking at the front of the bottle there. Why don't you give us the specifics on it? If you can, if you can pick it out. Ah, uh, one one proof. So definitely in my range. Yeah. Rick number five. Let's see from barrel number zero eight five nine. Stored in warehouse F. F. Okay. That was a Camp Nelson barrel. Right. Yep. So, so they they have two main campuses, obviously, they everything right there in Lawrenceburg. And then they have this property out in Nicholasville, was the old Camp Nelson distillery, that they have a lot of barrels out there. And so we've been doing a run of Camp Nelson barrel selections. Uh, traditionally, we've been getting stuff off the main campus, if you will. And, but recently, these Camp Nelson barrels have just really been... Really been really, good. So they're yeah. in season right now, I guess, yes. right? Well, let's go ahead and taste it. And, and Oh, I've already done that. Not bad for breakfast. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the nose is obviously um, very uh, aromatic. It, it it gives a good waft when you... The palate, in my opinion, takes me down a different road a little bit. It's yeah, good. It, does. it's it was good. not expe- what I expected based on what my nose. Yeah, I mean, that's... It, sometimes there's a little disconnect, but I, I, I will go back if you... That first taste always, particularly the first taste in the morning when you haven't had anything else, right. if, if you even if you didn't have breakfast or did, that's going to be the influence of what you just right. did. So, but when you go back on that second taste, I, I think that 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 disconnect that you were talking about disappears. It probably you're will. right. No, he he is the, the, the first one to me. The acclamation on that one was the the finish was a little bit. I was like I wasn't expecting it to be quite as bitter. Yeah, and I go back this second one. And it's not there. Well, that acclim- that acclimation taste, as you say, is th- in this case, it's all the barrel pulls you to the back. Okay, that okay. first taste, to, even for me, was all barrel. Right. Yep. And there's your there's your little bit of bitterness right. and all those types of situation. But that's the structure of this bourbon. Okay, everything else now is the color that's being painted on it. So you know you've got. I think you start to get the caramels and I think right. you get the toffees and then that little bit of fruit and floral that was there starts to show. There's a little bit of orange peel in this. I mean, this right. is this is a really complex, fascinating glass of whiskey. It is. It is. Yeah. And I'm getting I'm also getting a little bit of um, a little bit of evergreen. Just a just a hint of it on and the that, and that's and that's where that rye comes into yep. play. You know, it will drop that little bit of green element into into it uh that I think makes it really fascinating. Well, this is a this is a delicious whiskey, very tasty, and and yes, you're right. So as the more I sip on it here, the more it starts to come around and, right. and kind of a little more match the nose. Well, I, I tried to rinse out with a little water here, to try to help, but but um, it does it does make a difference when we teach a class here or do anything along those lines, any type of tasting. I always tell anybody never judge anything, wine, spirits, whatever, by that first taste. No, mm-hmm. 
because something I learned long ago when a uh, in a program at graduate school here at University of Louisville, there was there was a great article done uh, by this John Hilton was his name, but he did a article on super tasters and different things along those lines. When you go to taste something the very first time, whatever it is, food, wine, whatever. If you've never had it before, your body has a visceral reaction to it. It says, what the hell did you just do to yeah, me? Yeah, right. And so it's always picking up that sharpness, that's, that distinct something flavor profile that you've never experienced. The, the outer fringes. Yes. Yeah. And so it takes that second taste for you to go, oh, I understand this better, you know, from that standpoint. And that's why so many people get turned off by certain spirits that first time. I mean... If you go back and remember the very first time you probably had a beer and you go, why in the hell people drink this stuff? Or, or an IPA, you know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, definitely if you're going something extra hoppy, but right. I'm just saying, you know, good old Budweiser or something, you know, mm-hmm. at yeah. some point in your life, you start with something basic and you go, I don't understand this, you know, but ultimately we learn to process and handle and deal with, with all those, you know, different situations. So one of the questions we usually try to start off with just you know, you've been around the bourbon industry evidently for quite a quite a while. What did what does bourbon culture actually mean to you? We liken it to call it hospitality. I mean, the whole bourbon culture is about hospitality. You yeah. know, more than anything else, it's it's shared experience, welcoming, all of those type of situations. You, you know, I see that quite a bit. Now, this is something that surprised me when I moved to Kentucky was how, you know, somebody can pay a lot for bottles of bourbon and, but they always want to share, you know, that they always want to share with you. Hey, come here. You have, you tried this one? Well, no, I haven't. Well, here, let me hook you up. And, and, uh, I, I would agree with you there. Hospitality. I like that one. Are you originally from here in, in the I'm Bill? a Kentucky boy. I'm uh, a Kentucky boy born and bred. Yeah. Other than living, kids were born in, we lived in central Kentucky. Our kids were born in Lexington. My wife and I both went to L and university of Kentucky. Both really. Uh, yeah. And then we, uh, uh, I spent a lot of my summers in Western Kentucky where my mother was from. Uh, my wife has got the key to the city of Hazard. Uh, oh, she's a, you know, oh, no. Hazard way over there. Way over there. <laughs> she she, yeah. she was lost, wasn't she? So from that standpoint, you know, Kentucky is, you know, very much a part of who I am. What, what degrees were you? Uh, uh, I got my degree in so. chemistry from University of Kentucky. I started my degree in biochemistry at the University of Louisville. Didn't get funded my second year and I got a part-time job in a liquor store. Oh boy, and thus it began, huh? And thus it began. So after after the liquor store, you pursued a career, obviously. Uh, the I, I put it this way: the career ended up pursuing me. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one store I started at, the gentleman bought a larger store, made ultimately be his manager. He sent me to a, a wine education class at Bellerman at the time. Uh, was being Beller, Bellerman was teaching a wine mm-hmm. education class, and uh, three years later, I was teaching the class, and. Snow, kept snowballing from there, went into the wholesale business, was in wholesale for 21 years, uh, out of the business briefly for a little while, was in the grocery store, uh, got, went back to a college professor, got me to come in and be uh, chief operating officer of a small biotech company he had, had. He couldn't run it full time, so I helped him get it organized for three years and then uh, went back to work in the in the business, got an opportunity to work for Super Value Grocery Chain, was a grocery buyer, Big time, you know, a lot of multiple unit stores. 
they wanted me to move to Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And I said, uh, uh that's too cold for me. It's cold up there. Yeah, I'm not going, <laughs> even though it's pretty, but you know, I said, no, I'm not doing it. And, um, was approached by my partner, Richard Splann, who said, Hey, let's, uh, do something. And, and what year was that? That would have been 2000. That was the latter part of 2006 that he, that we started talking. And then 2007, we explored a lot of different places and options, unfortunately, that didn't work out until we, you know, my father always said, you know, uh, things happen for a reason, right? You know, the places that didn't work out, the first letter of intent for a chain of stores that we made an offer on, uh, totally fell apart. And, uh, I got a call from a gentleman named Houston Jones used to be a local restaurant tour here for many years. He got as a, started as a business broker and Houston called me up and says, you got to come take a look at this place. And I'd known him for 20 years and said, okay, sure. And we came out here to what is now Westport village and, and it, it was just in the very infancy of its development. And, and this was what year about this would have been 2007, 2007. Okay. And, uh, a local group by the, the Underhill family was developing what was the old, uh, uh, Camelot shopping center for lo the locals. They will understand that it had gone really downhill and they built this up and said, here, come take a look. And so it took us about a year to, <laughs> we walked away the first time, came back and said, okay, let's do it. So, I mean, this this is one of the older buildings on the site then. Yeah, this particular building that we're in at one time was the, was Champs Roller Durham, which is now located a little farther down the street. This was the roller, this was the roller skating rink. And then eventually it was, uh, again, for locals, Levy Brothers Building and Home Supply was in this particular building. And when they went under, uh, Gaddy's uh, did a Gaddy Land uh, for those out of town. It's more like a Chuck E. Cheese's pizza place. And... Uh, this has you know, been subdivided so many times and it's just a really old building. But it's really come along. This this whole um, development here is just, uh, it's got a lot of uh, culture to it. I guess its own culture. I think its own uh, charm. Charm. Yeah. There you go. That's the right charm, word for Charm, it. if you will. Yeah, I walked in here and I don't know that I've ever seen a more varied variety of bourbon. This is, you got some things here. I was like, man, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Well, that must know, have taken some time to actually collect all this. We, we started the store and named it Whiskey and Wine for a reason. You know, so in 2008, when we finally opened the doors, it was the concept being, we wanted you to find whiskey, hard to find whiskeys in the store to begin with. And this is long before bourbon started its boom. I mean, 2008, as we all know, was a tough economic year. Uh, and bourbon was just doing okay. You know, there was a small uptick, but it wasn't. And I really put a lot of, I mean, we have the best Scotch selection in, in the city. I, and we have the best bourbon selection in the city. I mean, uh, you mentioned a, another group that you know, has a tendency to say they have a carefully curated selection of bourbon. I will pick on them right now and say, not even close, buddy, not even close. So we, we feel that when you come in here, people are always going, they spend a lot of time looking, marveling at the shelves and go, oh my God. And God forbid they step back here in the tasting room and then take a look at the back bar. Then, you know, you see jaw drop a lot of, a lot of different ways. So concept has always be come to find really good whiskey. I mean, we have American single malts. We have great selection of rye. Uh, it's, it's all over. It covers a great gambit of things. Uh, 
really love good Irish whiskey. I love good Scotch whiskey too. If it's brown, I'll drink it basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of getting that way myself, I think. Yeah. This is a beautiful area you have back here in the back of the store, this tasting bar. Uh, it's very unique. I, I love the, I love the bourbon barrel contoured bar there. That's absolutely beautiful. We'll make sure we get a picture of that to, to put online. Yeah, that does. I, speaking of tastings, it looks like you're set up for a flight back here. Every week we do a uh, we do a special flight of four whiskeys, and uh, bas- it's basically half price of what if you bought each individual as a shot. You know, so you get four whiskeys. You know, like, uh, and I think technically this this whiskey flight it says here is twenty six, and he's got it down for twenty. That's a little bit more than than the half I was mentioning, but still the concept being is it's a good value of having four different rye whiskeys, you know, from Willet. And if you've not tried the wilderness trail, it's phenomenal. Uh, Peerless is really very good. And new riff is outstanding for a brand new distillery as well. Yeah. That's a, that's a good selection up there. I think uh, maybe when we're finished here, I might, I might go through a flight if, if it's not too early. And, and the days of the roller skating rink will come back because <laughs> we'll be wobbling a little if we did that. So how has the, um, how has your, um, bourbon selection here changed since 2008? Oh God, if you, uh, for those familiar with the store, as we say, the back wall of the store is all bourbon and it's some almost 40 feet worth of shelf shelvings of bourbon. When we first started, that wall was all vodka because in 2008 and even technically still in uh, 2019, vodka is still the number one selling spirit in Kentucky. Yes. And so coming from, coming from the background, when we used to do a lot of store sets, when I was in wholesale, I did a lot of shelf schematics. So I set the store based on the trends of the day. I mean, that whole back wall was vodka and uh, we had tequila was the next and blah, 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 blah. And bourbon was in a small 16 foot aisle. And our scotch selection was probably about the equal, you know, oh, from that really? standpoint in those days. And then, you know, slowly but surely, you know, the, the whiskey business started to change a little bit more graphically. 2010, we all know is this, you know, is a similar year in that. That's when the Van Winkle craze started, you know, it used to be sitting on the shelf Right. every day and now and you then, can't get it and yeah and so all of, all of that started to steamroll about that particular point in time and we've never much to my partner's chagrin when he was traveling and working in those days he'd come back from a trip and goes where'd you move this now you know because we were always constantly looking at what what's what was happening in the business and uh my wife, uh, Robin, she had a really good idea one day because she's the visual person. She's the architect in, in the mind's eye. She sees everything pretty well. So you need to move the whiskey all back into this back aisle. It'll make it more shoppable, make it more visual and all that. And so we reset the whole damn store again. And That's then, quite an undertaking, I would oh, imagine. It doesn't. It takes a lot of time. Somebody well, didn't get any sleep that night. <laughs> <laughs> so we... we Started doing that. And then slowly but surely, it kept growing. We kept adding a rack here, a rack there. We kept shrinking sections and moving things around and uh, and try to keep up with the growth, you know, stay ahead of the growth of the business too. Yeah. Yeah. So your, um, your tasting bar here is obviously well received by the bourbon community themselves. So a lot of people come in here. So do you have, in addition to, uh, you know, normal bottles, you also have your picks in here to be tasted? So Our store picks, we do a separate way. We have all of our store picks up at, by the front register that you can basically sample from every day. I mean, yes, we'll bring them back here to pour when somebody wants to taste, but we keep them up front 
as a way of showing people one of the areas of focus we do for the store. I mean, we did 47 uh, barrels of whiskey through the store last year from all across every, you know, from every place we could get a hold of. And well, partly last year was a really good year for that because it was our 10th anniversary. And a lot of distilleries were very kind to us by allowing us to get some special barrels last year that because it was our anniversary. And then this year, I think we'll come pretty close to that number again, the way we're going right now. Wow. That's really, that's a lot of barrels. That's a lot of, a lot for of a single store. Yeah. For a single store. Yeah. It's very, it's big time. Absolutely. Well, let me, let me sort of change directions here for a minute and talk about your involvement with Moonshine University. Can you give us a little bit of background there? Uh, our current mayor, you know, decided that, you know, there needed to be an education process in the, in, in the Louisville area. If you're going to come and talk about bourbon, he calls bourbonism is the term, uh, you can't go into a restaurant or a bar and when you ask for a bourbon and somebody tells you, you know, particularly when you travel out of town, when you ask for a bourbon at a bar, what's the first thing they recommend? It's black. Jim Beam? No, it's a black label. Oh, black another label. State. Oh, Jack Daniels. I <laughs> yes. guess. Yeah. yeah. And that was happening too much in Louisville. Jack Daniels, excellent whiskey, you know, easy to drink, all the, all the right things, but it's not technically a bourbon. So, you know, charcoal mellowing makes that difference. Maybe we get into this whole big, uh, all of last part of 2018 and 19, all the bourbon blogs, everybody was this big argument. Was, Why isn't Jack Daniels a bourbon? Blah, 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 blah. Technically it's not, but the reality of life is it's a sour mash whiskey, just like a bourbon. It's a bourbon right. up until charcoal mellowing. Some up of until the same they, characteristics, but yeah. you know. So, but the, the real, real reality is you can't come into Louisville, Kentucky and go to a restaurant and have a server tell you that, you know, when you ask for a recommendation on a bourbon, that they're going to show you Jack Daniels. Agreed. Okay. Uh, I agree. Yeah, you're right. So there was an education process to begin. So the mayor's office was, was the, you know, on the forefront of it. Uh, Moonshine University was the, was the brainchild of uh, the guys at uh, Distilled Spirits Epicenter and Flavor Man. Okay. Okay. Flavor Man in particular, uh, David, you know, had a team over there that got involved early on. Uh, uh, Colleen, uh, I think it's Colleen Thomas now with the Kentucky uh, Distillers Association. She and the group over there got involved very early on. The Kentucky Distillers Association was involved, and I and I saw this was happening, and I said I need to be involved, and so we developed a curriculum, you know, to teach people about bourbon. So you're, you, you were really kind of part of this from the very beginning. Yes. And, um, you also are a faculty member there, right? Uh, they have a, uh, week long course and I'm one of the ones that comes in and speak about, you know, how to get your whiskey to the market to these new people, you know, okay. talk about the pitfalls and the challenges of doing things along those lines. And plus I teach a bourbon, you know, a bourbon steward class here, you know, through that too. Okay. So you do teach here as well. Yes. Coming up this Saturday, as a matter of fact. Okay. So what all is involved in this bourbon steward class? Cause this is something that I got turned on to recently here, a bourbon steward. What is a, you know, a lot of our fringe listeners may not even know what that is. Well, this, it's called the Stave and Thief Society and uh, ultimately is what the name of the program ultimately boiled down to. Moonshine's a whole spectrum of classes, but uh, Stave and Thief Society is that recognition. If you know in the wine business, they have a master sommelier class. Ultimately, you can get a certification and now there's all kinds of other certifications, but the Stave and Thief was that entry level that way to give a good vocabulary and a good way to teach serving staff how to speak bourbon, really how to speak whiskey in general, but specifically into, into bourbon. Uh, 
And so the class is designed, it, uh, we're designed originally for, for servers, but we have all of our staff has to take the class here. Uh, and it helps you understand the distinctions in talking whiskey so that you can say, this is what makes an Irish whiskey an Irish whiskey. This is what makes a Scotch whiskey. And this is why bourbon is distinct, you know, because of all, you know, all of these characteristics. And it also is a, uh, there's a component, a small sensory component in the first class, you know, where at the end of the class, when you're taking your test, the only essay question is, if you will, you have a guest coming into your establishment and they're asking for a recommendation and you say, pick three whiskeys for them. And this is why I did it and defend your position. So we do our staff, we do a little bit different because this is what they did to me in a class there is they give you four whiskeys blind and you're supposed to taste them, analyze them and defend your position. Whether you get them right or wrong, not necessarily the goal wasn't to say this is what the brands were, but it's defend your position. So we train our people to do the similar thing. It's a sensory way to do it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, when we teach class here, we, I mean, we start early on at nine o'clock in the morning and we're by noon, you taste a lot of whiskey before the, before the morning's over. But the last thing we put every one of our guests through when they do it is the same four whiskeys that they did to me. And it's fun to watch and it's fun to listen to the kibitzing and the, and the conversation. And then just, but and it's like, tell everybody, it's not that you get it right. It's just like, can you taste the difference? And then and the, really the key thing is, can you taste the difference between a traditional mash bill, a high, you know, with rye as your grain and a weeded mash bill? And that's really all we're trying to make a distinction first off and foremost. Can I taste, can I tell you what the, every whiskey is they put in front of me blind? No. No, we say the blind is the, the great equalizer amongst oh, yeah. among bourbon. Folks. And that's why when we do tastings, when we do a whiskey class here, uh, for the general consumers, we always do them blind and it's, and we get always get a good crowd. It's always disruptive. Uh, there's another bur small bourbon group that I'm in. That's got a lot of the local wine writers or whiskey writers say not wine writers. They also, some of them do write that wine too. But, and I did a, I did this blind tasting to them and a couple of them said, I just don't like maker's mark. I've never liked maker's mark, you know, that type of routine. I won't call that person out, but you know, and another one says, you know, and just, you know, I don't, I don't like that particular style of whiskey, that particular, whatever. And so they tasted them blind. And of course the person who didn't like maker's mark, that was her the their, favorite their whiskey, <laughs> their, their, their favorite whiskey out yeah. of, you know, out of, out of the situation, you know, that type of routine. So it's always fun to do it that way. It's a great equalizer, uh, but it allows you to focus on the whiskey and not the brand. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's a, now the site is only the first little part that right. other senses take over now. It's not looking at the bottle. Yep. Right. Yeah, I think I think that uh, certainly uh, any any enthusiast who enjoys to drink bourbon should employ their own uh, blind tasting uh, events at home or with friends from time to time, and and it, it, it's amazing what you'll come up with. Um, and, and and you know, I find sometimes mine are very dependent on the day and what I might have had to eat or that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It might you know, I go, well, man, it didn't taste like that last week. Right. What happened? Right. You know, so how many classes, I mean, how long are these classes? How many classes do you have to well, get this? I mean, uh, we do uh, a formal sit down of that at least twice, sometimes three times a week. Uh, we have our Thursday nights are pretty much informal nights here now uh, where you, we call it open bar night where uh, we have a gentleman, Stephen, who 
puts together a program of, you know, he's the guy who does our flights, but he'll put together a theme that night, have special whiskeys. He'll have, he'll have wine flights. He did a margarita, a really successful wild margarita class recently. And uh, just always something creative, something different. You know, we want people to experience because we think the best way to learn about any product is to taste it. So we're going to give you, we're going to throw every opportunity out there for you to taste. Like tonight we have a class on uh, celebrating Robert Mondavi's hundredth birthday in uh, hundred plus now, but ultimately we've got a gentleman coming in to do a wine tasting, you know, through all of those wines that Mondavi was passionate about and really set Napa Valley on its, you know, on its way. So would you recommend, um, this this class this this bourbon steward certification for just your average enthusiast yeah i mean right everyone that comes in the texas is just customers i mean these are just people that want to learn more about bourbon the other thing that once you take this class it opens up a lot of other free classes through moonshine university they have they have or events you know they they have an aroma uh class that they've put together that you can go to uh you can then get into the executive bourbon level, which is the second level. The third level hasn't been finished written yet, but the, the executive bourbon class is an amazing class, but you get a discount off that class for being that. And you get other invitations to other events that, you know, opens up the door. It's like we're building a, a series of a sensory class that we're going to do here that because you've taken the bourbon steward class, you can come and do that. Uh, there's a good gin class that comes you know, the go take. So it opens up the door to a lot of education and a lot, just a lot of fun. So if Jim and I were wanting to become bourbon stewards, be here at nine o'clock Saturday morning, be here at nine o'clock Saturday morning. What's it, what's it cost? $65, $65. And how long does it last? Three hours, three hours. And you're a bourbon steward. Well, you, you're not a bourbon steward until you take your test. Yes. Well, yeah. oh boy, there we go. Yeah. You've taken a few of those, Randy. <sighs> yeah, but I, I'm tired. <laughs> no, it's just 50, 50 questions. It's very easy. Oh, only 50 questions. A, B, C, A, A, B, B, C, C. But in this process, you learn how to uh, taste and describe what you taste. Right. You learn how to build a flight for a customer or a friend. Right. And uh, you learn how to discuss um, what you're experiencing. Right. right. That's that. That's the whole thing. We we spend a great deal of time talking when you're tasting, deconstruct. You know, talking about what you're tasting. You know, because I try to give help people find vocabulary. That's the key issue more than anything else. Yeah, you. When you say a, a suggestion to someone, yes, the power of suggestion is really real, but ultimately it's about finding that vocabulary. I don't know what word to, to put with what I'm sensing right, right. now. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's that's what everybody's biggest fear is. You know, more than anything else. And I, I say you do know what you're tasting. Just tell me, you know, tell me what's the first sensation. And then you get the nice thing about alcohol classes is that usually after the second glass, people are much more willing to talk and share Absolutely. their experience. We're finding that out about our second pour. Our the second, second half pour. of the show is a lot, <laughs> a lot sweeter than the first. Well, speaking of that, I think this is as good a place as any for us to take a break. Uh, and when we come back, I'm kind of excited to see what you brought for the second pour. And then I'd like to take a deep dive into your barrel selection program here. Sure. Sound good? All, All right. right. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. 
Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Okay, we're back and uh, we're going to take a deep dive into your barrel program here, Chris. Uh, but first, we'd like to know what you brought for the second pour. Well, this one's a little more I call disruptive because it's it's not traditional Kentucky bourbon. Uh, we all know that technically bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States, but usually the best bourbon is just made here. So this particular one is from a distillery that's been resurrected, a pre-prohibition distillery called uh, Grass Widow. It is from Detroit, Michigan. Okay. Grass Widow from Detroit, Michigan. So pre-pro, so this this was a distillery that was well-known uh, earlier in the area. Okay. Yes. Got it. It was, it was a big time distillery. Uh, you know, you could think of like uh, Nelson Greenbrier in Tennessee, you know, was very big beforehand. You can think of, you know, uh, uh, peerless, you know, right. using a local example being very big before prohibition. But again, like many others, it fell victim to that. And, uh, some people went back and found the references to it and decided to resurrect, uh, the still and start making whiskey again there. Uh, they make an incredible selection of strange whiskeys. Uh, at one level, they have a peated bourbon oh. that it's a two-year-old, you know, it's a uh, bourbon, but, but they've peated the malt and it's actually surprisingly really good. We were like all like, going, no, 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 no. They have a, another, they have a couple of single malts that they do that are really good. But the particular bourbon that we bought a barrel of is, uh, a straight bourbon, but this one, like many others, this is MGP juice. Okay. Okay. But they bought the barrels and they, their particular trick is that they, after they've got their batch, right, they finish it in a Madeira wine barrel. Okay. Now other people do that finish as well. So we tasted the samples and it was like, Oh my gosh, we fell right in love with it right away. My favorite thing about the label is, is that they definitely are saving some money because they, and I don't know how they got away with this from the AT or the TTB, but it's still funny. The normal whiskey is 91 proof. Okay. Okay. So they just literally took the Sharpie, crossed out the 45.5 and hand wrote 59.6. What they know, what they don't know won't hurt. Them. Right. So instead of saying 91, it's, it's really handwritten 59.6, 119.2, you know, on the label. So I, I, I get a, we get a kick great kick out of that one because it truly is mom and pop. You know, when you think about it from that standpoint that, that somebody actually did it that way. So this is an MGP sourced straight bourbon whiskey at barrel proof. Yes. That is uh, curated by this distillery and then uh, blended and then placed into Madeira casks. Yes. And how long do they finish it for? It depends. They say they pick it when it's right. Oh, sure. You know, so usually for somewhere between three and six months. Okay. All right. Well, let's try it. Again, it's got a great nose. I mean, it's very unique. But it's, yeah, I was going to say there's something different. We got to find out what that is. Well, it, it's, a, it, it's, this is a really big fruit nose to me. Yeah, it is. It's very big fruit nose. It's, I'm getting kind of a, 
uh, I want to say raisin, but um, it's more. Very good. Yeah. I mean, it is dried fruit. I yeah, mean, it yeah. is that raisined, you know, type aspect. And if you think about what a Madeira is, Madeira is a dried wine, if you will. Sure. You know, a sweet dried wine. And did, did you mention or do we know the age of the juice here? Uh, the minimum... The, the minimum barrel I know that, you know, when they first did the first batch was in that four to five year old okay. range. And then they had some 12 year old that they, they, they batched in. So in a true single barrel sense, you know, is this all one year? No, it's the idea that it's that single barrel of that batch that they finished in the, so you got one of the barrels right from that Madeira finish. So in, in the traditional sense, it's not a single barrel, but it is a single barrel from their batched yes. efforts. It's it, it, no different than what you're doing now with uh, any second barrel condition uh, barrel pick. Sure. Woodford Reserve's Doubled Oak, for example. Right. You know, it com comes to mind when you think about it that way. Yeah, I'm getting something else there. I can't put my finger on it, but uh, it's definitely got a unique nose. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, very threw nice. me, it threw me a curve. We'll take a taste. There's a little bit of anise in the nose too. That's the other thing. Yeah, I think so. That's yeah. what throws people off. And that really shows the ripe character real well. Wow. Pow. Right in the kisser. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's delicious. And, and that's what, I mean, since we tasted this one, we were all, I mean, almost everybody unanimously said, this is really damn good. And it's just that enjoyable. You get just a little bit of the heat because we just went from our first selection at 101. Now we're up to 119. Right. Yeah, that little extra heat you taste, but again, I'm not getting a burn down the back of my throat. No. And that's, that's what I thought the extreme balance of the whiskey is really well. That, that, and it's, it's, it's a little sweet and savory at the same time, but it's got a dry aspect on the center palate kind yep. of a little bit. So, but that center goes away, seems to go away pretty quick. And then you get to that finish. This is what I call when I was talking before about a racetrack bourbon. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, you know, you've got, you've got a, a chance with some bourbons to experience them as they move across your palate. This one kind of gets everywhere all at once and, and, yeah. and really, uh, out of the, out of the gate strong and with a nice solid race to the long finish. Yeah. That's an exceptional bourbon. I really like that. Well, I have to be honest in saying that I've never heard of it. I've never seen I, it before. I never had either. And with a name like grass widow, I was sitting there going, okay, what are we in for? So these are on your shelf here. And you've had them for about how long? This particular barrel is uh, about a year now. It's, you know, this is a high yield barrel and it's, you know, people don't know enough about it. I mean, it's interesting. Most time we get people to taste it, then they leave with it. Sure. You know, it's again, that's why we have our, you know, tasting samples up right up in front of the store. All of our, all of our team, you know, has opportunity to tell the story and, you know, get people to taste it. So you guys have got a pretty good, uh, pretty extensive barrel selection program. You mentioned before uh, 47 or so barrel selections. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about your program and your vision for the program and kind of kind of how you put it together? Again, foresight of accident, you know, happened to put all this together. Uh, our very first barrel that came through our store was a Weller barrel. And it was actually because a neighbor of mine who and another friend of his had decided that they wanted to get some private label whiskey for themselves. And that's how we learned about the barrel programs. Uh, you know, at that time in 2000, and this was in 2008, we just opened the store and this whole barrel of Weller comes rolling in. And, you know, it's like our plan was at that time, we, we would take two bottles, of everybody's barrel. That was our, that was our payment, you know, basically for working with them. And, uh, 
that was kind of naive in, in those days, but at the same token, it was kind of fun in the very beginning. And I learned, then we started looking into who all's doing barrel programs. Didn't really know about them. And they really weren't in vogue in 2008. I mean, it was, yeah, you could call it Buffalo Trace and say, let's do a barrel. And it was okay. Well, we're, we're happy somebody's interested to sell us a barrel, you know, or buy a barrel from us. And so right. they would do that. So that opened the door to us to looking into what else can you, what else can you do? And part of the challenge in the early days is we don't have a lot of cash. Right. <laughs> you know, you're building a brand new business or a lot of cash to buy and a barrel can, you know, range in the, in the low range, you know, six, 6,000 bucks to $15,000 now a barrel, or in the case of some 20 sure. plus thousand dollars. So in the very beginning, we, you know, it was, a, it was a slow build. And then when bourbon, you know, really started taking off, we were already, uh, I mean, I look back on our history we were buying Elmer T. Lee barrels. Can you imagine that, that concept now? No, I cannot even imagine that now. You know, it is like in 2010, Julian Van Winkle offered, said, do you all want to buy a Van Winkle barrel? We didn't have the cash that had I known now. What I do now would, you know, I'd have ransomed my house, you know, sure. to, to, to gone and done that. Because you'd have made it back for yeah. sure. <laughs> but again, it's that learning curve aspect of what you do. So it became a way for us to distinguish ourselves by saying we need to look at doing barrels. You know, this is something that gives us a little bit of an advantage. And it was really not happening in the marketplace either. That's simple. Yes. Stores have been doing barrels for a long time. Uh, I never forgot one many years ago, a friend of mine who owns Old Town Liquors on Bartstown Road when I was in the wholesale business. He did he did probably the first private label barrel I've ever, ever came across. And actually, he did his own label too. Uh, and so that was my first experience into what was doing this. I've always remembered that and said, let's go back and start exploring that more and more. So we talked to every all of the legacy distillers and say, what kind of barrel programs do you have? And then started going from there, scheduling our trips, getting to meet, you know, start doing barrel selections that way. And it really morphed into, you know, uh, being a member of the Bourbon Society at the time. It helped me to bridge that gap by saying to the distillers, said, you're not doing it for me, you're doing it for the Bourbon Society first. And that way, a lot of the first went to those people. Okay. You know, to the club members that way. It, but that opened up that door to saying, okay, now I want a barrel. So are distilleries uh, more inclined to uh, provide barrel selections to groups like that? I'd say that is also changed. That's in okay. the last last two years. No. Uh, as they call them, personal selection barrels along those type of lines are harder even for the groups to come by now. Okay. It, it, so they're always, they're having to find more creative ways to get barrels now too, because the demand has gotten nuts. And my one rub against a lot of the distillery programs in their single barrel programs. And I understand this where it's more than just a Kentucky market thing. They're trying to meet the needs of the demands from, you know, Seattle, Washington to South, South beach, Florida, you know, New York to, you know, LA they're trying and everybody wants one and everybody wants one, you know, so the programs have gone from, you know, we'd be at four roses and I say, I'll take all three today, you know, or I'll take four, I'll, I'll buy four, you know, whatever we could do that. Now it's your allocation this year's two. Mm. 
you know. So what are some of the differences between some of the distilleries and their programs? Oh, it's so much fun in terms of what each distillery doing, you know, something a little bit different. Uh, There's the show place picks and then there's the, let's just put a thief in a barrel picks. Okay. Sounds like fun there. You know, it's. My favorite, one of my favorite places to be is where I was yesterday morning, as a matter of fact, was at over at Wild Turkey Distillery, because there it's, you, you're, you're standing in the middle of the warehouse. It's not some special little room. It's not all, you know, all theater and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty much as you expect Wild Turkey to be and the Russells to be uh, welcoming. We want, we want you to have, we want you to taste some really good stuff. You know, they have a pre-selection of barrels that they put into the single barrel program. Uh, but it's, again, fortunately for us, they know we're coming. So they want to make sure we have a few things that, that, that we're going to like more so or potential for us to like is usually pretty good. So we started off yesterday morning in the warehouse, uh, and, uh, Fortunately, Eddie was there. His son Bruce was there. Uh, Eddie's niece Joanne. So we had three of the three of the four major barrel pickers, you know, right there with us yesterday morning on the selection. Eddie couldn't stay for the whole time, but he he did say, "We got these over here." And Bruce knows if you don't like any of these, there's these others over here to go taste. And you know, it was like, so we go down the aisle. There's some barrels laying around. Bang at the bung. Put the thief in. Everybody puts their glass under. Start tasting. And literally, if you didn't like that, let's go find something else. Exactly. So I've, I've been on a barrel pick with Eddie before, and, and it's not uncommon to go 10 plus barrels. Oh, yeah. We, we stopped we stopped yesterday at seven. We You know, uh, seven that we, we, we found two. We actually found three yesterday, and we were very happy with them. Uh, and But then, then it was the, okay, Bruce says, you got to come over and taste this. And then he... So it, it was a, it was a rye and it was an 11 year old rye that's going to go into the, that was not, it was supposed to go into their next, uh, the cornerstone. Yeah. The cornerstone project. And I'll tell you, it was unbelievable. And, uh, we were picking with Butchertown grocery yesterday and Bobby, uh, chef Bobby immediately said to him, I'll buy this barrel right now, if you'll let me. Yeah. And they leveraged for a while. I think the arm wrestling started, but they said, no, they couldn't allow that one to go out. But that one is one of my favorite experiences because you go there and everything's just authentic. It, there's, there, there's no frou-frou, there's no theater, there's no, you have to do it this way regimen. It's how do you want to do it? How do you want to taste it? If you want somebody to make comments to you, they will tell you what they ta- taste. I mean, tasting with any of the Russells has always really been good. Eddie always says, they're all good. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Jimmy says, you know, there's not a bad barrel in the warehouse. So what, you know, what's the problem? You're just going to take the, fir- take whatever, but, it, and that's, that's good because, but if you ask, they will give you their opinions. And like I said, we've been fortunate enough over the last few years that Eddie knows he, he he's already bet which barrel I'm going to buy mm-hmm. half the time, you know, just, he just goes, I know you're going to like this one because we have a, we've learned that we have a very similar taste profile, which is fun too. So that one is the, that one I think is the most welcoming and the most fascinating from that standpoint. Uh, Any other picks that kind of stick out in your mind? uh, At the new old Forrester distilleries, I have to give a plug. That's one, that's, that's sort of always been my my favorite go-to bourbon. When people ask, I said, you're never gonna go wrong drinking a bottle of old Forrester, particularly the hundred proof period. Uh, 
It's one of you my know. wife's favorites, yeah. actually. Yeah. So, but at the new facility, I mean, it used to be fun to go over, you know, to to the main campus, you know, down there, and you, they had a nice little uh, tasting station set up there with Brown Foreman. Excuse me, it's always theater, so that's even even more interesting. But uh, so at the new facility, it's really neat because it is really theater now. Because right in the middle of their new barrel warehouse, they've got this platform in the middle of the warehouse. I mean, right, sort of like hanging out into into the still area or, you know into the area where you know and right in the middle of the barrel warehouse platform they have barrels sitting right there they have a tasting table and glassware it's stunningly spectacular and if you've never picked with jackie's eye can before that is its own reward she's she's candid real lots of fun to taste whiskey with you know again don't like it let's go find something else yeah. you know and that's just a great i mean it's a visually stunning experience. It's just, plus it's just a lot of fun. Now Jackie's yeah. their master taster. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She, uh, she, she brings a breath of fresh air into a very, you know, stayed program, Yeah. you know, from that standpoint, I mean, the, those, those are the, that's one of my more fun ones in doing that. I mean, I love going, I mean, I like going to on site visits because you always, I always learn something new. I mean, uh, in the past when we would, of course, we got one distillery in trouble. And my favorite is in the old days at uh, Buffalo Trace, we were, we're over there picking barrels of my, one of our favorite picks all times was our Eagle Rare picks. Uh, barrel 168, 160, 162. Find those. Those are really good. But we were literally going into the different warehouses, up into the floors, shimming in between barrels with a drill and t- poking Poking whiskey right out of the barrel. That, that's fun. I've actually done that with with Chris and uh, Elizabeth over at Woodford. And anytime you can get up in <laughs> in amongst the barrels yeah. and with the drill and 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 just stick the glass there, I'm, I'm like, that's an they experience. don't they don't they don't really support much of that anymore. Right? Oh no, they. they they were they cited OSHA and some other things after that yeah. after that particular pick, and now they have a nice in. In their only, you know, non-brick warehouse, you know, is it Warehouse H, where all of the uh, Blanton's ages, Correct. you know, now uh, the metal-clad warehouse, and they have a nice tasting area right there where they roll, they bring the barrels to you, and then you, you know, thief them there, and it's still a good experience, but it wasn't as much fun as literally crawling around getting dirty. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I don't know, there's something about something what about Four about Roses. That. I haven't been to a Four Roses pick before. Four Roses. 2017 was our was our banner year for Four Roses. We did 13 barrels for Four Roses oh, that wow. year, and uh, they in the beginning they used to roll out all 10. If you know anything about Four Roses, all their whiskeys based on 10 different mash bills. Okay, you know, uh, four is it five yeast strains, two two traditional mash bills. Right. So a high rye and a you know and a, and a heavy sweet corn recipe. So in, in the in the early days, you know, 10 and 11 and 12, 13, 14, they'd have all 10 mash bills available. So you would, you know, taste through, you know, all get the opportunity to taste through all 10. And that was always a fun experience too. Now, if you get seven different ones because the demand of the whiskey's gotten so high and they have to use all 10 to make what we used to call yellow label, which is no longer yellow label, but, but traditional four roses, uh, all 10 have to be in there. So if they, and they don't make all of them in equal proportions, you know, they make certain, there's only certain limited ones like the O's and the Q's tend to be really 
hard to come by on a regular basis. Right? I think this last time F's were almost no, and those that the O, Q, and F stands for the E strain at that particular time. So weren't uh, weren't as readily available. So that always was a fun fun experience. Now what Mandy, who runs the barrel program, does now is she's gotten tired of groups that come in and only want to pick a mash bill or only on age statement because there are groups that pick strictly on that. I'm I'm just pure hedonist. It's got it's got to sing to me and it's got to be damn tasty. I don't care how old, young, whatever it is. It's got to be really good. In the and mouth. if it doesn't, we pick we we've passed before. Yeah. It's hard to people hard for people believe that you actually pass on a barrel, but we've passed and you know on saying today there's nothing that really rings my bell. Now but when you when you say that, do they run out and get you another barrel, or do they say some do some do? You know, uh, for the most part, we've been very fortunate because now. In the early days, yeah, it was like, no, we have to go find something. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute, let's go look and see if we can do. But again, those were the days you were crawling around the warehouse, and you do that. Uh, when we just most, we just did that at Will, at re, you know, last year too, where we crawled. I mean, didn't like, didn't like that one. Okay, so he goes, really? And then so Drew goes, and we go try something else, you know? And then he says, well, I want you to try this mash bill. So yes, they will do that. But at Four Roses, what they're doing now is they turn all the barrel heads around against the wall. So you can't see age statement. You can't see mash bill. And I think that's the way it should be anyway. Well, I do too. But again, uh, Mike Feach wrote a real interesting blog just recently, a uh, local writer and bourbon historian. He, uh, wrote this article about single barrel selections and he, he said one chain particularly st- say to him, we only buy it on age cause it doesn't matter. Cause it's the only thing people care about. And if you've tasted some of their whiskeys, you can tell that some people don't care, yeah. you know? So from that standpoint, that's, that's fascinating in its own right. Um, Heaven Hill is still a good warehouse experience to go through. I mean, uh, Knob like Creek, Knob Creek. I mean, yeah, that's our, those guys still do wonderful job of giving you some really good selections. Uh, and if you're there for a daily double, so to speak, where you're picking a bourbon and a rye, that's a lot of fun. You usually, you get, you know, that's another place where we've, we, we had one round and said, Nope, don't like any of these three whatsoever. And so sort of, you know, Grant who runs the program now goes sort of looks at me and goes, really? And he said, you know, he tasted and goes, I agree. So let's go find three more, you know, and that's, now, Knob Creek's one of those picks where a lot of people t- tend to gravitate towards the 15 years because they know it and it may not be the best barrel. Right. And we've, we've had that happen to us, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's sometimes you look for that and then like yesterday, oh, one of my favorites is like you find that really short barrel. Mm-hmm. Four Roses one time, we picked this one barrel that was just, we got 60 bottles out of And I will tell you that was one of the best barrels of whiskey we've ever picked. People that have tasted it will still rave about it. Yesterday, Wild Turkey, we got one that. Uh, immediately, as soon as I, he started sloshing it, and when he couldn't get the thief, couldn't get the thief deep enough to get anything out to begin with, we're like, "Uh oh!" And when we finally moved it around a little bit, sloshed it, and got some whiskey out of it, it as soon as it hit the glass, everybody knew on the nose and tasted it. It was like phenomenal. We said, "We're taking that one now. Whatever else we're doing, you know, mm-hmm. we, we want that one today." And that's that's the only time probably that my prejudice will kick in on short barrels because you can really get some good whiskey. We tasted one up at uh, when. Uh, at New Riff when they were still doing the OKI label and Jay Ersman and I were in there and we had this one barrel and literally he said, we might get 20 bottles out of this, you know, you know, and 
ultimately he said he tried to, he wouldn't let me have it only because he said, because in those times when they're doing their little hand, they just had a hand bottling machine. I mean, just did three bottles at a time. He said the filter wouldn't be able to handle all the char and that little bit of whiskey, Wow, you know? So he's, he, I did leave with a pint of, or all I didn't leave with anything, uh, but I did have, <laughs> yeah. did, have, did have a bottle of that that went home, you know, uh, to drink because it was really, really, really good whiskey. So everybody's experience is a little different. You know, occasionally you have to get samples sent to you because uh, like we did with the Grass Widow, we just tasted, we didn't drive to Detroit to taste it, but the whiskey was really good. We've done that with uh, Nelson's Greenbrier where they, you know, uh, Charlie brought whiskey for us to taste, you know, that type of routine. And occasionally it's what you just have to do, but you know, the experience, the best experience is actually go to the place and experience everything, learn, listen, because that's really what the whole key thing is. Right. Every, every time I go to a distillery to do a pick, I learn something new about something they've been doing. So if I'm going for my first pick, this is some of the advice that you would give me when I go for my first barrel pick, cause I've never been on one yet, you know, and there's, I'm sure there's been, you know, people listening to us that never have either. So what advice, what, you know, is there a particular thing I need to follow or what would you suggest to me if I'm going on my first barrel pick? Uh, I had a gentleman yesterday who was his first barrel pick ever and uh, a good customer and has another little bourbon grip that we uh, drink whiskey with. And, and he's asked me the same thing. And I said, uh, make sure you have some water, a notebook and a pen and an open mind, Okay, no. <laughs> you know, and then just go and just go be marveled. I yep. mean, just taste, talk and just, you know, just enjoy it. Yeah. D don't, don't go looking for something, but a good time yeah. <laughs> and an opportunity to taste something really fun. Right. And, you know, I think um, regardless of whether somebody, if they're new to this and whether or not they can pick out notes in a bourbon uh, is one thing, but they know what they like. Exactly. And as they taste it, they say, that's good. That's sweet. That's smooth. You know, whatever terminology right. they're at in their journey, um, you know, they just need to to pay attention to what their own their own palate tells them. Well, the, the minute I walk in a Rick house, though, just the smell. All of a sudden, it puts me in the mood. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. It, it, but it, just, it mean, puts me in the mood. And that's the port. That's the fun part of going. That's why I say going on the visits are really important. You know, from that standpoint, because it, you're already you're already experienced the first level of hospitality. You've been welcomed into somebody's home. Okay, and by going into that red house or going to that distillery, you've you've gone you've come into someone's home. And how inviting are they during the process? or how closed are they during the process tells you a lot about what you're going to get into. I didn't think about that. That's, yeah. that's true. You're kind of going into the intersanctum. Okay, well, here's my house, but I'm going to bring you into this, this part right here. This is where the magic happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So can you, can you take a minute and talk about some of the picks you have on the shelves right now? Some of the ones you're currently, you know, you have up front and you're introducing to your customers. Some of the things maybe that you've got coming coming in real soon, maybe in the next month or two. Well, uh, right now we have uh, the Grass Widow and the Kentucky Spirit that we've tasted today. We have a Russell's Reserve that we picked uh, back in January. That's uh, still one of my still one of my favorite overall brands. And to that's pick. Camp Nelson. Uh, yeah, this happened to be another Camp Nelson barrel too. Then we also have a Woodford dub, uh, Double Oaked uh, that. Since they've gone to the profile selection aspect of this one rocked me. I mean, 
the first time, first time we revisited after they started the program up, I was like, okay. And it was okay. But now once you're starting to learn the program again, this is a rocking glass of bourbon. Got a few bottles left of a Maker's Mark selection we did with uh, Maker's Private Selections. Another one I didn't mention in terms of great experiences. That's uh, a great experience to pick your number of staves to create your own perfect version of Maker's Mark. So we did one with Butchertown Grocery just recently. We have some of that left at the moment. Uh, we have uh, one of my favorites is the Old Forester program. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, we have a current Old Forester that's just damn yummy. Um, I just really, really enjoy that. Uh, and the Woodford Personal Selection, I have to, I will have to give a little shout out on that one too. Personal Selection is a two barrel batch, true small batch bourbon. And at first, when they first said, do you want to do this program? I was like, I'm going, nah, I'm not too thrilled about the idea. You, you thought maybe gimmicky or? Yeah. I mean, because I wanted to, I wanted a single barrel of Woodford. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I was already in my snobby appeal about everything has to be single barrel. So Chris Moore said, no, you just come. And so he did it with, he, you know, he took me through the program and you get six different barrels of whiskey. You smell them, taste them, and then you put them together. And we've always had, when you did barrel selections, we've always gone through these statements that this, if I could have this nose and this taste, it would be an exceptional whiskey. I get that. Yeah. Okay. So you, yeah. you, you go in these barrel selections and you get the, the, this. So the two barrel batch goes, you understand now the additive and the subtractive effects of putting two barrels together. You have this one thing that's got an incredible nose and you got this mouth that's just incredible. You put them together and it becomes bitter and tannic. Yeah. Not always, but I'm saying you go, what the hell just happened? You know, type routine. You don't so, get the best of both. Right. So you learn what the challenge that the master tasters and the master blenders and the master distillers have to go through to put together a batch. Doesn't always work the way you think intuitively it will. So it really depends upon the palate again and the, or in the art. It, it, it made this a very right brained experience for me. It was it, you understand the science over here in the left-hand side. You understand all everything they're doing mechanically, physically to manipulate and do all this. But really what it comes down to is your right brain's got to become engaged to make it work. It's got to, it's got to taste So good. how many, how many blends do you go through in this process? Well, ultimately, because you have six, you know, six and you combine two, you end up with four different choices when okay. it's all said and done. Okay. And it's just, it just boils down to, and, and again, very rarely have we gotten to the point we we did have one round one time we did uh we were with there were two groups going on and our six barrel combinations just didn't work out and we went over to the other table and it worked out a hell of a lot better so then we started arm wrestling who gets that barrel <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a great experience in its own right and i forget to mention those the you know we talk about the more traditional styles those are two programs that are just you need to experience at one time because it really it really energizes a whole different part of your brain and a whole different respect for what everybody does in the business. Right. Well, I think, uh, I think you've given us kind of a good overview and certainly the listeners who have, uh, sort of have the desire to go on a pick someday. have learned a little bit about each of the distilleries and, and, uh, you know, what they offer. I think the few that I've been on, uh, have all been great experiences. Their uh, barrel picks are always good. And you, you take with you, uh, obviously some, uh, some, some pallets from your staff here that you trust and you probably invite some customers along as well. Combination thereof. I mean, we have 
we have a group that you know of regulars that like to go with us because we trust their palates and they're they're counterfoils. I mean, there's to point now. I know when, I, when one of the guys goes with me, I, like yesterday, I said that's a Bob Barrel right away, and it was. It lit his eyes up big time first and foremost. So yeah, but then it's a balance. It's a way to it's a way to argue and talk and discuss. Sure, you know, to find that because I like people to challenge me because saying. My daughter is uh, our spirits buyer, Emily, and she, when she goes on picks with me, she's always like, gone, no, I'm over here. Why are you over here? So that we can say, ultimately, what's the right barrel, you know, you know, to go because you get jaded sometimes too. Sure. We do have a house style. I do. I'm proud of our style of whiskey. But every once in a while, I'll pick something. Somebody goes, why? I mean, that's totally off the wall for you. you you've never picked something that big or bold or spicy. I said, today it was the best barrel there. So in general, are you picking barrels that you feel appeal to the widest selection of your customer base or are you looking for something unique or a little of both? Uh, I follow the rule that Chris Morris told me years ago when picking a barrel. He said, if you're picking a barrel of wood, or in this case it was for Old Forester, he said, why pick Old Forester that I have on the shelf? Pick something that it says something to you that's different and it speaks to you differently. So we always look at that first. What's, what is the, what's the best barrel at that time you're tasting? Then the second piece is we have a style and now it's to the point where I don't pick for the masses. I pick because I like it. And I've been fortunate that now we have customers that like my style. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm a sweet upfront cream guy. I didn't get to be this size without eating a lot of sweet <laughs> up, you know, you know. And so I, I enjoy that richness, that roundness, that lushness that a whiskey has, but it's got to have good, it's got to have good structure and good spice. Yeah. You know, uh, so that's, that's an important thing. So we have a house style and people come, I think, to buy when we put a barrel out now because they know there's going to be those elements there. And every once in a while, I'll pick a really bold, big, rich, spicy one. But then right underneath that is this incredible, lush, rich style. It's sort of like when we tasted the spirit a few minutes ago. It comes across pretty big and bold right up front. That nose and everything was like, oh. But then, as I said, you taste it that second time, and all of a sudden, it just rounds out. Rounds that corner nice there. I there you go, right. <laughs> rounds that corner. <laughs> well, Chris, we've had an excellent time with you here today. But we want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to let everybody know where you are, how to get a hold of you, um, social media, that kind of thing, maybe how to get in the bourbon steward well, program. Uh, yeah. well, thank you. Uh, first of all, it's been a lot of fun here too. And, uh, as my wife says, you like to talk, so it's easy to do, uh, from that standpoint. But we, uh, we've just celebrated our 11th anniversary this past weekend. Uh, we're in the Westport village shopping center here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, just off outside of the Waterson expressway, but it is, uh, you can reach us through, you know, basic, you know, phone number, you know, from our phone number, 502-708-1313, westportwhiskeyandwine.com. We're on Instagram. There is a Twitter account. I'm not a Twitter person, but, you know, it's just an automatic feed. Or on Facebook, uh, we put out an e if you want to sign up you, to get our newsletter every Monday, we put out an event-driven newsletter. tells you what's happening for the next two weeks in the store. You can sign up for events online. We also have a phone app that you can download at both both play stores and the Apple and, and the Apple store. I would encourage people to sign up for our, our phone app because when we have a new release of something, mm -hmm. it goes out on the phone app before it goes out on anything else. That way customers that are very serious about supporting the store, 
by downloading a phone app, they get first notice of a new barrel coming out and we take phone reservations from those people where if it goes, once it's gone up online, it could have already, you know, by the time it hits, you know, Facebook, it's already gone. It could be already be gone or we won't even put it up. So the, those are, that's one, you know, all of those ways that you can get in touch, you know, uh, and follow what we try to do. Again, it's, those are our basic social media platforms. I mean, I, I know there's Monday's newsletter uh, for events. Wednesday, we do one that talks about, we've, we have a product feature. And then if we get a new barrel out, then we might put an email out specifically about that on a Friday. But those are, those are our basic regular uh, media driven platforms. And you do a, you do a video about your flights each week, yeah, each week. And that, that'll get, that'll get loaded into the Monday event driven email. So that they start on the flights start on Sunday and then, uh, uh, Steven's video is the lead on every Monday morning's video, you know, every Monday morning's email feed, uh, as well as, you know, all the other platforms, but that's a good way to find out what we're tasting that week. Uh, what events you want to sign up for something, uh, take a class, like the bourbon steward class, we put all that information out uh, that way, and then it's just posted online. And if if somebody's visiting Louisville to take some bourbon tours or to uh, to go to a distillery in, in and around Louisville, and they're limited on time, this is a great place to stop to find a unique and flavorful bottle. I would say. Yep, uh, we appreciate that. We're also uh, supporters of the Kentucky Distiller Association, and if you get on their site, they'll uh, when you're planning your bourbon trail experience mm-hmm. there. They'll find you'll find a way to find us because we're we're on that as well as a place to come and take a look. You know, it's great. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate you being on the show, Chris. This well, thank you fun. for the opportunity. A lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. We do appreciate all of our listeners, and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the Bourbon Road. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and if so. We would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five-star with a review on iTunes. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Bourbon Road. That way you'll be kept in the loop on all the Bourbon Road happenings. You can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog, listen to the show, or reach out to us directly. We always welcome comments or suggestions. And if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.